It's Philosophy Talk. Radio Nation, I know global warming is real, folks. I have believed that ever since Al Gore's movie made money. Can climate art inspire us to action? You really think movies are going to solve climate change? I don't know, Ray. Haven't you seen An Inconvenient Truth? Haven't you seen all those gas-guzzling cars in The Fast and the Furious? That's what people are actually watching. It's bad enough that this documentary made global warming sexy, but now I have to hear the phrase Al Gore's Oscar-nominated film. Can art help us fall in love with a wounded world? We tend to think in hours or days. Can art help us think in decades or even millennia? As a geographer, one of the things I really like to think about is space and time. Our guest is Harriet Hawkins from the University of London. So for me, art can help us kind of recompose the space and time of our problems. Can art save us? Oh, that's great art. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. What can art do to tackle climate change? Are science and politics not enough? How could movies, paintings, and poems help us redraw the landscape in our minds? This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you from the Stanford Humanities Center. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. We're grateful to the Stanford Humanities Center for sponsoring today's event. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're asking, can art save us? Can art save us? I mean, Ray, the world's facing a heap of really bad problems. We've got fascism on the rise again. We've got any number of new infectious diseases. We're on the verge of environmental collapse. You're going to tell me art's going to save us from all that? Oh, come on, Josh. Don't be so pessimistic. We can't give up now. We need the arts to keep us going. Well, I mean, look, the arts are a nice distraction and everything, but if we want to be actually saved, we're going to need better leaders, better policies. Oh, and people are willing to listen to scientists? Yeah, and how are you going to get them to listen to scientists, Josh? you, you got to engage their feelings, you know? Talk to their imaginations. And, and that's where the arts come in. So wait, you're saying... People who watch Game of Thrones are going to start reading Scientific American? Uh, I'm not talking about Game of Thrones. I'm talking about art that's, you know, actually about the climate. Like, like that movie, Don't Look Up, which shows people ignoring a, a, an environmental catastrophe that's just literally right above their heads. Yeah, but the trouble with didactic fiction like that, Ray, is it tends to be, you know, bad. I mean, I found the Rolling Stone review of Don't Look Up pretty refreshing. It said, it's not funny. It's not insightful. It's not even watchable. It's a disaster movie in more ways than one. Yeah, okay, so it's bad. Who cares if it's going to save the world? I mean, what do you actually care about, Josh? Okay, but look, the problem, Ray, is it isn't going to save the world. I mean, climate deniers, science deniers, they're not going to watch that movie in the first place. If they do happen to watch that movie, they're just going to feel insulted by it. Films like that are just preaching to the converted. Yeah, well, you're not supposed to talk to the diehard climate deniers. Those aren't the people we're going to reach. But what about the fence sitters, you know? The people who kind of care but won't get off their duffs to do anything? You know, climate art could really help mobilize them. I just don't understand how that's supposed to work. So, so you've got a climate artwork that's telling people who already believe science that they should believe science? 
I'm with Blaise Pascal. He says, look, beliefs are great in everything, but if you don't have motivation, they're useless. Yeah, but it's not about changing people's beliefs. I mean, you're a literature scholar, right? Like, you of all people should know that. <laughs> Art just doesn't, doesn't just help people, you know, grasp climate change intellectually. It also helps them engage at an emotional level. Okay, let me see if I understand you. You're saying a viewer of Don't Look Up already knows that climate change is real and dangerous. But once they finished watching Don't Look Up, they are completely devastated by it. They are curled up on the floor in a fetal position, sobbing into their locally sourced popcorn. And this is supposed to help the movement how exactly? Look, okay, some climate art is depressing, but that's not all it can be. It's like that thing that the poet Louise Glick says, that poetry can become our companion in grief, our rescuer. It gives us the strength to continue our struggle, and art can even help us imagine our way to a better future. You cheated by invoking Louise Glick. I, I find it hard to resist <laughs> any, any quote from her, and I love that quote, but, but do you imagine your way to a better future, I think you've got to bring it about. It's not enough to imagine it. You, you got to lobby your politicians. You've got to get out on the streets. You've got to stage a school strike. Okay, it doesn't stop with imagination, but it's got to start there. You're going to need some vision of the better world you're trying to fight for. Uh, like that Kim Stanley Robinson novel, Pacific Edge, right? That's a story where people really get it together. They fight climate change, and then they build a realistic utopia. I mean, that's a cool novel, Ray, but if my memory serves, it was written over 30 years ago, and as far as I can tell, the world still hasn't been saved. What went wrong? Look, look, I'm not saying that one work of art is going to save us all from disaster. But if enough people make enough different kinds of art and engage with the environment at an emotional level, that really could make a difference. And if enough people run for office, develop new technologies, move away from fossil fuels, and take legal action against polluters, we won't need climate art. Yeah, but people aren't going to do any of that unless they actually address their feelings about the climate. And that's why we need art. You know, I bet our guest is going to help you see the value of art. It's Harriet Hawkins, professor of geography at the University of London. Yeah, and maybe Harriet will get some support from our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed. We sent Holly to talk to artists who've been creating music inspired by climate change. Holly files this report. Helen Pryor remembers staying up late at night in 2018, looking at her newborn son and thinking about a new UN report showing the consequences of the planet warming two degrees Celsius. I kind of couldn't understand why we weren't taking more action. Life-threatening heat waves, water shortages, flooding, the loss of almost all coral reefs. And that prompted me to kind of look at psychology research in terms of environmental behaviors and behavior change. Pryor is a music psychologist at the University of Hull in England, so she thinks a lot about how music can influence emotions and behavior. In her paper, How Can Music Help Us Address Climate Change?, she cites the Great Animal Orchestra, a soundscape of animal recordings captured in their natural habitats. She also references a heavy metal song called Amazonia by Gojira, which laments the destruction of the rainforest. Inside, 
And there's also How Long by Vampire Weekend, a song about the demise of Los Angeles. How long till we sink and it's only you and me? How long, how long? Research shows music can help people break habits and exercise for longer, but... There isn't actually very much empirical evidence that links the power of music with environmental behavior specifically. That was my aha moment. Let's just use music instead of a sculpture. Artists like Stefan Crawford understand that music can communicate urgency in ways other mediums can't, and that can drive change. Crawford founded the Climate Music Project to make climate science personal. This is one of their commissioned pieces by Eric Ian Walker, called simply Climate. We're here to really facilitate action, to help people understand the urgency of action and also understand that it's only urgent because we can still do something about this crisis. The Climate Music Project brings together scientists, musicians, and composers. The scientists we've worked with have all the souls of artists, and they, the artists we work with tend to have a little bit of an analytical mind bent as well, so it, it's, it's worked really well. This piece is called What If We, and it tells the story of climate change. Musician Wendy Loomis composed it. We came up with the idea of having the bass represent the landmass and the drums represent the water. Our drummer was thrilled to be able to wipe everybody out. It features original poetry by Royal Kent. Eagle leaves fire in her wake. Tiger's life is at stake. Eagle descends with a crushing blow. Tiger defends, as you know, in a mighty leap. The piece ends on a hopeful note, reminding people we can still take steps to address climate change. What has been revealed to us all, we call climate change. Some climate change music is based on data points, like temperatures or changes in sea level. The music can sound pretty bleak. It's interesting to point your camera at issues of concern, and you know, that I think is partly what I find myself doing. Chris Chafe is the director of Stanford University's Center for Computer Research in Music and Acoustics. He's a composer and cellist. Here he is playing the metered tide, which uses sea level data from over 100 years of rising waters in San Francisco. So can art save us? Chafes' art has sometimes preceded progress in science and propels us towards solutions. The electric guitar brings that point home for him. Go back to uh, the 30s and you can say, hmm, humanity started to learn chaos with their ears. And today it's uh, ubiquitous in mathematics. But time is also running out. Antarctic blue whales are singing their own siren songs. Their tone's deeper now, possibly to cut through the noise of melting sea ice. Like whales, artists are also adapting, creating music to make sure we hear and do something about the melting icebergs. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? 
You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.